This is Passport Two, People and Places, brought to you by Jules Verne, taking you around the world, sharing memories, and introducing you to the people at the heart of everything we do. I'm Abby, and in this series, I'll be delving into past adventures, inside stories, future journeys, inspiring you to discover the wonders of the world. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Passport 2 People and Places brought to you by Jules Fern. I am super excited today to be joined by Richard, our head of marketing at Jules Fern. Uh, Richard's really new to the family, so this is kind of a get to know you conversation for me as well. So welcome Richard. Thanks Abby, lovely to be here. You've had some really varied travel stories that you've kind of given me a glimpse of. So this is going to be really fun today to hear a little bit about who you are and how you've got here and what you've done. So you work in travel, but what initially inspired you to start traveling and kind of get into the travel sector? What was that pinnacle moment where you thought travel is for me, that's where I belong? I think my uh, how I ended up in travel uh, happened at university. I was studying for final exams, third year exams, and I've got a bigger sister um, who I'm very close to. She was traveling at the time. So whilst I was studying for exams, sitting exams, I was also receiving postcards from around the world, from Canada, from Australia, from Malaysia, from Bali, all sorts of different places. And I was getting very jealous. And it took a lot of uh, concentration to stay focused on exams whilst dreaming of far off distant places. So I, I left university, finished at, uh, at Cardiff University and decided to go off traveling. And from planning my itinerary for an eight month trip, I ended up being away for two and a half years. Gosh. Um, mainly in Australia and New Zealand. I had a year in each, but I then uh, traveled back through Southeast Asia, um, through Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and ended up uh trekking in Nepal in the Himalayas for about six weeks um, before coming back to uh, to home, back down to the family home, penniless, jobless, um, back to the bank of mum and dad, um, went back to university. And it was at that point I met my first boss, who we were both studying marketing exams and marketing courses. He was uh, the owner of a travel agency. And and that was my first job in travel. It was a fully independent travel agency selling the, the widest range of holidays, um, everything from round the world cruises to uh, bucket and spade holidays in Europe and the most basic travel of all being uh, National Express tickets and rail tickets. Um, so fully independent. And that was my first job in travel. From there, I've worked for cruise lines, um, a couple of cruise lines in my career, a couple of tour operators, and I've also set up my own online travel agency, which I ran as a project. What was your first memory of travelling, though? Was that was that it after university, or do you have like younger travels? I've got I've got younger um, memories. My, I come from a, um, a naval family. My father uh, was a doctor in the navy, and my grandfather was a doctor in the navy. He was an admiral. Wow! So he was um, chief medical officer in Malta. And I was actually born in Malta. Uh, my dad was posted over there. And it was at the time in, I hate to say, early 70s when all the Brits were being kicked out of Malta. So um, I've got a November birthday. And I think in about February, there was a, uh, we had about three days to pack up the entire household. And I was brought back essentially in a carry case slash suitcase 
and uh, passed from pillar to post through various um, military uh, airports and motor transports. I've heard of children so, being born and living in like a drawer. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking sort of post-war here, living in a drawer. I haven't heard of children living <laughs> in a suitcase carry case. That's it, it's, interesting. It's a slight embellishment. My uh, my mum my kind of tells a better story than, than I do. Um, but it felt as though I was just part of the baggage coming home. So that was that was kind of early days. Lasting memories from young childhood was posting out to Singapore. Um, I spent my fourth birthday in Singapore. Uh, we had about nine months over there as a fairly formative period um, at a very young age. Dad being medical, um, he came back and was posted to Plymouth as my hometown. That's the connection there um, at the Royal Naval Hospital at, uh, uh, in Plymouth um, and had a very stable upbringing and childhood in Plymouth. Um, he chose radiology as a specialism and he always says he chose that because x-ray machines don't float on ships. So the, the, whenever somebody broke a leg in the Navy, the patient came to him rather than vice versa. Wow. So he was, I've done my traveling. I'm going to stick with my x-ray machine in Plymouth and people can travel to me. They can come to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So from travels with your father and your mother in the Navy, and then you've gone to university and sort of branched out on your own. And now you're getting these postcards through from your sister. The world is your oyster. So was it New Zealand that you headed to first? Was that always the plan? Yeah, it was the ultimate destination for me. Um, I had a contact a family connection who owned a farm in New Zealand so I headed via Canada um, to see family members for a couple of weeks uh, to New Zealand. You took the long way around. <laughs> I took the long way around um, and it was a sheep farm as you'd imagine in New Zealand there were 30,000 sheep it was about 3,000 acres um, and I went out there to work as a farmhand in the North Island um, in Taranaki. From there, travelled up to the centre of the North Island, to Lake Taupo, and absolutely fell in love with it. It was such a beautiful town, such clear waters across the lakes. Clean air. Such good friends, such a friendly atmosphere. Um, absolutely loved it and ended up spending about six months there. So my eight-month plan of a trip, I'd probably seen two places in New Zealand and I'd seen um, family in Canada. And I think it was really in, in Taupo that I felt most comfortable and felt that I found myself, uh, found kind of an inner confidence, um, felt a great deal of resilience um, as a person and grew an awful lot. I think as well, being that young and having those experiences when you're sort of just starting out, fresh out of university, you kind of, you're in this self-discovery mode, aren't you? You sit there and think, right, I am now the adult. I am now, you know, the person I want to be. And actually reflecting on those times, a lot of people will realise that, you know, Late, Didn't have a clue. Have probably, a clue. Yeah, yeah. mid twenties, early twenties. You sit there and think, "I am this person, and this is my identity." And then actually, you have these wonderful travel experiences where you're sitting on the edge of a lake, and you, you know, with friends that you've met, and you sit there and go, "Oh no, I'm a different person. I hold different core values now because Absolutely. of the experiences and the people that you've met." And I found those values in New Zealand. It's all about integrity and honesty, working hard, resilience. 
and open-mindedness and learning, I think, is kind of the, the core values that I put. Um, treating people as you would wish to be treated, um, being respectful and being honest. So those are the, the values that I'm trying to pass on to my, my kids. Um, so moving maybe a little bit forward in time now. So you've done your backpacking, you've travelled extensively, you've done these amazing things. As you mentioned, you have a family, so you have a wife and three boys, and you travel extensively with them. You've travelled to lots of places with your wife pre-children. But what do you do as a family? Like, How do you plan your holidays? What inspires you now, not backpacking Richard fresh out of university? Like, What inspires you as Richard the family man? I have a fairly... Uh, full-on home life with the three they're both they're all boys three kids a wife uh, we've got a dog we've got a tortoise we've got fish um, so in the pecking order at home I'm somewhere between the tortoise and the fish I believe but keeping everybody else happy is really uh, my role within the family we have a touring caravan um, which we love I've caravan when I was um, when I was young with the family and I got such happy memories uh, from those days and again you want to instill those memories in the kids so we've toured around the UK mainly in the south Isle of Wight is a favorite holiday spot but those family holidays it's it's simple honest fun it's taking them down to the beach it's fish and chips on the beach it's getting ice creams and it's Oh, they just love it. They absolutely love it. Jack can spend hours in the sea. He goes blue. I'm not sure whether that's good parenting or not, but he's, he comes out with a big smile on his face anyway. It's an experience. It's, a, it's it. a core memory. Absolutely. That's the thing, isn't it, with family holidays? You can be driving around in your caravan, seeing all the different corners of the UK, which has different landscapes, slightly different cultures. <laughs> you know, you've got all of this to learn from, but then also you can take your children away and see the world as well so they kind of sound like they're getting the best of both worlds the uk holidays and abroad yeah and and i talk a good game as well so the travels that i've done through work are always slightly embellished um i used to work for a norwegian company so rather than going to norway i would go to the north pole to work for example uh i'd say that to my my kind of eight-year-old and he'd he'd be very wide-eyed uh, as a result of it so it's it's slight embellishment but um you know you don't let the truth get in the way of a good story do you and then now you're inspiring three boys to go out there and absorb the culture and the people and the places around the world and that's what travel is it makes you a storyteller and you pass that information on and stories will last in eternity as memories won't they, they will and I, I also think it's about uh being a global citizen it's having a uh, growth mindset, being open to learning, um, being respectful of other cultures, yeah, meeting new interesting people um, that that aren't in your hometown, that, that are um, completely different to you, that you would absolutely respect for uh, the experiences that they would uh, and the stories that they would tell. Talking about people you've met and those experiences, is there a particular person or an experience that you can think of that you go, yeah, that that person stayed with me or, you know, that person said something to me. Because I think when you think of travel and you think of all the people you've met, you meet lots of different people from different cultures. But there's always a few people that have sort of touched your heart a little bit and kind of left that that imprint. Is there someone that sticks in your mind? I consider myself very lucky to have a small but very loyal group of friends that I met during my backpacking years after university. 
they were very similar to me in their values. They were very intense friendships when you're on the other side of the world, nobody knows anybody, and you end up in a in a hostel, randomly put in a dorm with some people that happened to arrive on the same day as you. Um, we absolutely gelled as a as a group, um, and they've been friends for life. Whenever we meet up, we're we're back to being twenty one explorers without a care in the world. That's it. Those memories transport you back, don't they? And oh, from you know twenty years ago, yeah, they come absolutely flooding back. Lots of happy memories from from those days. <laughs> So it sounds like your friends and your family are very important to you and those are the people that you travel with the most and you love to travel with. But in an ideal world, you can pick anyone here. I'm going to ask you, who would be your ideal travelling companion? Uh, I would say there's two that stand out head and shoulders above everybody else. And one's going to make my wife very jealous because I'll say Sir David Attenborough. He's someone that's inspired her and she's been at various functions with him. So I would love to go on a trip with Sir David Attenborough. The other one is um, Steve Backshall, who's a hero of my kids. He's uh, an explorer, a naturalist, a TV presenter, more aimed at younger generations. So he does things like Deadly 60, where he'll go and find snakes and spiders and creepy crawlies and put himself in reasonably dangerous-looking situations. But I think he's got a huge amount of interesting stories to tell. And I'd love to join one of his expeditions to go and find these deadly creatures that he goes and finds. Where would you go with Sir David Attenborough? Um, I I would say Africa is probably the default. Um, and I'm thinking fairly central Africa. Um, I've got vivid memories of him sitting with mountain gorillas Um I've been lucky enough to go on safari in Tanzania and Kenya. Um, and I would love for him to be a guide. I think that would just be absolutely fascinating. Um, the stories that he could tell, both of the, ex the, the wildlife experiences that he's encountered, but also from a filming point of view, I think he's just had a, such an interesting life. You know, all the work that he's doing at the moment about climate change and climate ambassadors, ambassadorship is so important and so vital. And he presents himself and the topic very accessibly and just very professionally so everybody can understand it. Everybody just needs to listen to what he's saying and leaders need to listen to what he's saying. And I'm getting terribly political now, I'm afraid to be sorry. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I would say I'd love that, that sort of experience with David Attenborough. Completely. It really sounds to me that all of your travel experiences have been centred around the people that have been there with you. And I think from our point of view as a group travel company, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about the people you're travelling with that make those experiences. We've heard on the podcast before where things haven't gone right, like we've had a bus broken down and it's actually been the best day of their holiday because they've sat in a local cafe and got to know each other. And it sounds like it's the same for you. Those people are your real connection. So... You and your wife have travelled a lot, right? We have. Um, my wife uh, is a conservation biologist by profession. Um, she works for an organisation called Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust based out of Jersey Zoo. And they um, their uh, mission is to save species from extinction. And our, our highlight of our time together was um, her landing a job 
um, to manage a project in the Caribbean. I was merrily driving a marketing team in Yorkshire, scratched my head about how we're we going to make this work. So I left my job and set up an online travel agency and went to join her. So we had approximately three and a half, four years living and working in Montserrat. That's not a bad life, is it, in Richard? In the Caribbean. <laughs> and Montserrat, uh, just for every bit, it's not the most common, uh, most well-known place. Um, it's a British overseas territory. It's uh, 10 miles by six. It's got a population of about 4,000 people or so. Um, it's got some really interesting heritage, recent heritage. It's a live volcano that blew its top in the late 90s. Um, and buried its capital in 18 feet of volcanic ash. So two-thirds of the population were evacuated as the volcano was blowing its top and lahars and uh, pyroclastic flows were decimating the capital city. It's a beautiful island. It's a real throwback to how the Caribbean used to be. Um, there's lots of stories about pop stars using Montserrat as a base. Um, Air Studios, which was owned by George Martin, famous with its connection with the Beatles, for example, has got his studios in Montserrat. Um, and there's people like David Bowie and Sting and all the old rock stars, Rod Stewart, for example, just used to go over there and hang out in the rum shacks of Montserrat that and no shoes no news Mont oh, unbelievable so but at the same time it's such a beautiful island it's got such a varied um ecosystem it's got tropical rainforests there and that's the that's where the the conservation project that my wife was running was based so we would trek into the uh, tropical caribbean rainforest by night searching for a critically endangered species of frogs. So it's uh, a species called the mountain chicken. Uh, the background to that is that it was a local delicacy. Um, people used to eat them. Uh, that's not the reason why they were going extinct, but um, a naturally occurring fungus um, hit the island and it affected the skin of the mountain chicken frog. It hardened the skin and it couldn't, the frog could then no longer absorb moisture. It slowly dehydrated and, and it was a bit of a death sentence to them. Durrell's role in this was to come in, capture some, um, capture a founding population uh, of mountain chickens, take them back to Jersey Zoo, um, set up a captive breeding pro program in Jersey, um, and then my wife's project was to um, manage the release of captive bred frogs back into the wild. We used to go out on a nightly basis to search for the frogs that we'd released and to see, check on their health. Um, because it was at the same time as being a very important project, um, saving the species from extinction, it was a very ethically controversial project because you were also releasing healthy animals into a known hostile environment we knew that the life stage would was not long for these animals but we were trying to learn as much as we could about the transmission of the fungus throughout the populations and what what is the terrain like you know in the you're saying in the nighttime you're tracking into this sort of forest and you're looking for these frogs i mean that blows my mind anyway but also like what does that look like as you said it's a really lesser known island so what can you see? What can you hear? Like, what is going on? Take me there. 
So the sounds of the forest by night are dominated by tree frogs. And it used to be dominated, absolutely dominated, by the sound of the mountain chicken. And it's got a very distinctive and wide-ranging, and it's the sound carried for miles. It was a very distinctive chirp. Uh, my wife can do a brilliant impression. Um, me less so, but it was uh, like a phone ringing, almost type of a sound. That would just be everywhere in the forest. Um, and it was such a iconic sound for Montserratians. The, the frog itself is only native to Montserrat and Dominica, nowhere else in the Caribbean. Um, so it's a very localised populations and very localised species and subspecies. My wife kind of would, <laughs> will say with a great deal more authority than I can about species and subspecies and traits and DNA and all that sort of thing. I think we have our ne next guest for the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, but the sounds of the forest, it's uh, in the distance you can you can hear the volcano rumbling. It's a live volcano. It's constantly erupting and gases are coming out. so you can you've got a, an awareness of a background noise, but the tree frogs absolutely dominate. There's, there's no light pollution at all. The only thing you've got is your head torch and you're walking through, um, you said you mentioned about terrain. Um, it's a very mountainous terrain. Um, these frogs live in what are known as guts, which are kind of ravines with rivers at the bottom for their moisture. Um, so it's, it's quite a health and safety risk <laughs> to be doing this. But we were, you know, incredibly lucky to have some fantastic local forestry staff that were our guides. Um, you could place them anywhere in the forest and they would know instinctively exactly where they were from which tree they were stand stood next to which river flowed in which direction from the place that they were with and they could navigate all the way back um they, it was just absolutely fantastic they just got a, an absolute fantastic sense of direction what an experience to um you know from having lived and breathed marketing within the travel industry for probably the best part of 15 years to take that segue go off for a couple of years and then come back it's a, a fantastic story that we had and and such happy memories at our we got married whilst we were um living in the caribbean we got married back in yorkshire but we had Montserrat and hot sauce at our wedding on every table we had um we had uh, steel bands playing at the wedding um there was a real caribbean feel to um to our wedding so it was, it was such a, it, it created such a strong bond between the two of us um, that it's just unique to us, and that's our that's our story. It sounds like the island and the people and 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 the nature and the animals have just left that lasting imprint on on both of your hearts, really. And absolutely, and it sounds like it, it potentially has changed you both as as people moving I forward. I think so. It's a it's a great leveler because I used to I used to obsess about making sure brochures were printed on time without any spelling mistakes in it. My wife 
save species from extinction. So whenever I came home and, and belly ached about an advert having, you know, a spelling mistake in it or a website having a you know missing functionality in it, she would just say, just hang on a second, Rich. It's, you know, let's let's put it some perspective here. Yeah. Like I say, it's a great leveller. But that's travel again, though, isn't it? It's those experiences and those people. You know, you go to places like India and you see how different the lifestyle is of some of the people and sometimes you see the difference between you know the 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 wealthy and the not so wealthy but it just like you said it just levels you and it just brings you back to a place of where you just sit there and think again travel changes us but it changes us for the better for the better absolutely and you you talk about india um i've traveled through southern india rather than northern india I flew into into Mumbai and took a train down to Goa and then carried on all the way down to Kerala, all the way down to the tip of India. Was absolutely blown away by everybody that you meet. All the street scenes, um, the sights, the smells, the sounds. The honesty, um, the religion. It's it's such a so different from anything that you'll see in the UK. It's in such a such a poor country, and you, you know you hate to say it, it's a little bit dirty and a bit um, you know it's not there's, there's quite a lot of rubbish on the streets. Um, but then you see the beauty of the the saris, the yellows and oranges and greens and reds, and they're absolutely beautifully washed, beautifully presented. It's it's absolutely amazing. There's a real pride that I took away from my time in India. I think I, I've said it before. With India, it's an assault on the senses, but in the best possible way. Previous guests on the podcast, like Vinit, for example, speaks with such passion about his home country, and I think India is just one of the places again that can just change change a person. I know it changed my my view on on traveling alone. Um, and like you said, going to the south, doing that train journey, and sometimes that slow, immersive travel, especially in India, where you are looking at life like a local, and and it's just so different, isn't it? Kind of traveling around in in that way. Would you say for you that was one of the highlights of your trip, traveling down to the south on the train? Absolutely so, absolutely so. Um, I, I've got vivid memories of that journey. Um, the most vivid was the tea sellers in the stations and on the train and just walking up and down all day trying to sell tea to people. And his his call out was, chai, 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 chai. That ran through the whole carriage. Um, you know, you could, and it, it, we'd come back, he'd go up the train and then he'd come back down the train and then he'd go up in the train and it would just be constantly chai, 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 you want chai, you want chai, who wants chai? And it's such a, such a local experience that I had. It was so much fun. I love India for the food. I, I, I went there and I didn't realise that I was going to fall in love with all of these different flavours and, and I am a massive advocate of eating where locals eat. And I always say this on the podcast and I say it to our customers and I say it to my friends, go with the local guide. Go with someone who has pointed out where to go and eat what the locals are eating. I loved India's uh, vegetarian flavours. Um, I love the, the the fieriness of Goan curry um, and then the aromatic spices of Kerala. From a vegetarian's point of view, nowhere better. 
I'm not vegetarian, but I do like, I do enjoy vegetarian food. Moving around the world, I would pick out South Africa as the best place for a barbecue. Yes. Australia's going to hate me, but I would... Controversial, uh, have to agree. <laughs> uh, but if you pair that with some of the wines from Stellenbosch and Franschhoek and places like that, nothing better, a braai on the beach... Oh, yeah, love it. And then I've got to mention Montserrat, returning to the Caribbean. Um, there's a stand called Nadine's, and I spent three years every Friday religiously at five o'clock at Nadine's waiting for her jerk chicken to be ready. And it was just the most amazing flavours. Um, I couldn't agree more about eating where locals eat. Uh, I took my honeymoon in Rome, um, we were living in the Caribbean, so why would we go to a Caribbean island and have a beach holiday? So we chose a city break and we went to Rome and the flavours of Rome were fantastic. Um, we had we had um, bruschetta and pizzas in Piazza Navona and paid an absolute fortune for tomatoes on toast. But then two streets beyond that, my goodness, same meal and the flavours that were coming through were just undescribable such depth of flavors of a tomato italy especially going from the caribbean and doing your honeymoon in rome it's such a contrast but probably in the best possible way you've gone from queuing on a friday night by this sort of like beach shack stand waiting for your jerk chicken to eating the best home cooked pasta in rome and like you said it's just taking that little right turn left turn going down that back street and and sitting there and not having a menu that you understand and just pointing and hoping for the best and, and being open to trying new things and new experiences. Pointing and guessing, pointing and guessing on menus. Um, I would I would say also, I mean, you can you can sort of work out the Italian menus and the, the, there's familiarity there with the pastas and the pizzas, etc. Um, transport yourself to, the, um, to Southeast Asia, um, the likes of Thailand, Nepal, and... You've got no clue what you're ordering. So trying to kind of guess what goes with the noodles, what goes with the uh, the, the rice, it's just... But then you just go, well, yeah, I'm going to try it. What's, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to find something that you absolutely love. You're going to find something that you don't like equally. And you try and remember what it sort of looked like. <laughs> completely and, and then you try and recreate and, it at home and it's never going to be the same it's, absolutely there's nothing better i think especially in in asia there's nothing better than a street food market oh, unbelievably so unbelievably so the other place i i say for street food would be north africa so when you're talking about the the bazaars of marrakesh and casablanca just such a such an assault on the senses again the food there is just fantastic so flavorsome um yeah i loved it i loved it when i was over there i was lucky enough to do a film shoot in casablanca for a cruise line that i was working for at the time it was during ramadan so all the restaurants were closed between through the day and we were absolutely we, we were working so hard the film crew were brilliant but they were absolutely starving. And I can remember I had a packet of sweets at the bottom of my rucksack, which I opened 
and they were a packet of sweets that I had um, been given from somebody that had just come back from Canada randomly. These, these sweets have travelled well. These sweets well, are well-travelled. And they were maple syrup-flavoured candies. And in the back of the minibus with our local drivers taking us from film, loca- film shoot location to location, this sweet, sickly smell of maple syrup just pervaded our minibus. And it was just such a, again, one of those moments where you think that could have gone one or two ways. Either the guys were going to, the guides would have got extremely annoyed because we were breaking the uh, the local laws, which we were desperately to trying to abide by. But then we were absolutely starving, and we just needed something to keep us going. So a uh, equivalent of a barley sugar, but a maple syrup, maple syrup version uh, was was what we used. And again, I think that touches on like the misconceptions sometimes of traveling. Like I've had conversations with friends who have said, oh, I don't want to travel during Ramadan. But actually, it's sometimes some of the best times to travel because in the evening, the destination comes alive. You just see people in their absolute element and just kind of enjoying so i would always say touching on that travel in those periods travel in festival periods travel in religious periods and see the culture firsthand and experience it and yeah if you have to have some maple syrup sweets in the bottom of your bag so be so it, it. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about we've gone pretty much everywhere we've gone from canada to new zealand we've gone from asia to the caribbean you've kind of, you are incredibly well traveled so this question is probably going to be quite hard for you because where's next on the list? Like, what is your bucket list of travel destinations? Because you've ticked so many off. Um, top of the list is probably Namibia. Um, I've not been to Egypt. So there's various places in Africa that I would uh, would elevate really strongly. Um, I've not traveled at all in South America. So not set foot on the continent. Um, I've been to parts of Central America uh, briefly, but I'd love to spend a lot more time in Costa Rica. Um, the rainforests of Costa Rica, the sights, the sounds, the wildlife, they really appeal. Slightly closer to home, um, I've got a strong affinity for Germany. The Germans that I've been lucky enough to work with through my career have always been so friendly, so hospitable, uh, just lovely people. Um, as a country, there's some great heritage and history, um, some great cities and some beautiful scenery down south in Bavaria. Again, speaking for my wife, she went to Oberammergau uh, last year, or in uh, 2022, and for the for the Passion Play um, in Bavaria, and came back absolutely raving about Bavaria. Um, it was in the middle of summer, and she loved it. I've been in winter to Bavaria, going on skiing holidays. Had no concept of what it's like in the summer, but you just... Yeah, I just love to be there. The mountains, the the lakes, hiking, walking in the hills. Love it. Love all of that out, outdoor uh, outdoor lifestyle. Um, getting out and about, disconnecting from phones, put leaving your laptop at home. You're on holiday. You're away from it. Uh, you're disconnecting, and then reconnecting with nature. Is that what's next? Is Germany, do you think, going to be the next trip? Or is there something planned before you start the next part of the bucket list? I think probably through the summer we'll end up on the Isle of Wight with the caravan and the family at the beach next to the mini golf and the ice creams and the fish and chips. Nothing better. (laughs) 
So Richard, I'm going to ask you this question and I always love to sort of wrap up the podcast with this question. Where in the world, of all the places that you've travelled to, where in the world has captured your heart the most and why? There's there's three places for me that absolutely stand head and shoulders above uh, everywhere else that I've travelled. The first one I'd mention would be Lake Taupo in New Zealand. I found the values that I carry today in Taupo. Um, it's my happy place. Whenever I'm down, I will mentally return there and sit on the lakeside and have a crystal clear view across the lake to the mountains um, and will be a lot better as a result of it. Um, the second place that has captured my heart is um, in the Himalayas. Um, there's a trek around Annapurna, the Annapurna circuit from Pokhara. Um, and about three or four days into there, you enter what I can only describe as an amphitheatre of 8,000 metre peaks. And there's a small hill called Poon Hill right in the middle of that amphitheatre. And from this small village, and I forget the name of the village, you get up at three o'clock in the morning, trek up Poon Hill and you watch the sunrise with 8,000 metre peaks surrounding you it's unbelievable it's such a wonderful experience and the third place that i'll say is the isle of Wight for very different reasons and that's all about family time yeah richard thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and ultimately as well welcome to the jules verne family we are really excited to have you um and i hope the listeners agree you've got some amazing travel stories and some amazing experiences and i'm sure we're going to see that in uh, the years to come of all the different tours and projects that we have going on at jules verne so thank you again for joining thank you abby We hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Passport 2 People and Places. Look out for our next episode where we'll be talking to more guests about the people and places that have inspired them the most. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please do get in touch. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 